It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hawkeye Nation podcast, HawkeyeNation.com. Andrew Downs here with you on the Monday before game week. That's right. A week from now, we'll be talking about a real game happening that week. It's a it's a big time in, in Hawkeye Nation. It's a big time in the world of sports, and it's an exciting time uh, for us here at Hawkeye Nation, and I'm sure for you out there, uh, Hawkeye fans, wherever you may be. This is uh, this is when it gets good, man, and uh, and I'm super excited about it. We got a lot to get to. Uh, we're gonna start doing these podcasts a lot more regularly. They're gonna be hitting your feed multiple times a week. Uh, have my opposition research podcast. Have my uh, instant reaction podcast. Our Hawkeye Nation radio show will begin next week uh, with with Joe Schmelka and myself. We're looking to do that live a couple of times out at the front row in uh, in Clive. So a lot of fun stuff coming up. It's going to be fast and furious, and uh, we are on the verge of kind of making that turn here into football season. Thank you so much for your patience this summer. Thank you for listening as always, and uh, let's get right into it. We had some news earlier today as uh, the AP put out their All-America teams, and two Hawkeyes are first-team All-Americans in the preseason, and it's it's probably the two you would expect. It's the two that a lot of people expect to uh, compete for national awards, compete for conference awards. Uh, Jack Campbell is the preseason defensive player of the year in the Big Ten and is now a preseason first-team All-American, according to the AP. Of course, he is Iowa stud linebacker from Cedar Falls, uh, who has you know, just improved year over year, was a huge impact player last year on a really, really good defense. And uh, if Iowa is going to be a good team this year, uh, they're going to be led by that defense and by Jack Campbell. And, uh, and his counterpart in the backfield in Riley Moss, who is also a first-team AP preseason All-American. Um, and that, that's just such a cool story. Riley Moss, I saw somebody on Twitter over the weekend was kind of finding their old tweets about Riley Moss, his you know, freshman, maybe even his sophomore season, where you know he, he got burned a couple of times. He, he uh, got turned around a couple of times. Didn't look like he was going to be the defensive back of the year in the Big Ten uh, ever, let alone you know after last season as he was, didn't think, didn't look like he was going to be a you know preseason first team All American, you know a candidate for the Thorpe Award and and all of those things, and that's what Riley Moss has done, man. He's put himself in that position, and it's it's been a lot of fun to watch that as well. Watch him mature. I love defensive backs. I love cornerbacks. That's my favorite position on the field. Uh, I just think it takes. 
it takes a real swagger to to do well at the position. It takes a real um, it takes real athleticism to cover those wide receivers and do so in the way in which the rules dictate that you do it. Um, I think a pick six is about as cool of a play, let alone as big of a play that can happen in football. I mean, it's one thing to get a turnover. It's another thing to turn that into a touchdown when it, when one team is going in to score and you can you know, basically make that a 14-point swing. That, that's as big as it gets. That's as good as it gets, and Riley Moss has done that time and time again. It's going to be an interesting season for, for these two players. I think Jack Campbell and the position he plays – and the defense he has around him, I expect him to live up to expectations, right? If not surpass those, somehow surpass those lofty expectations. I expect Jack Campbell to be first team All Big Ten and to be a you know potential first team All American in, in the postseason. Uh, to be in the running, if not a favorite for Big Ten Defensive Player of the Year. I expect all of those things from him. I expect Riley Moss to be a really good player and to have a really good season and to not take a step back. That's not what I'm saying. But in that position, and we've seen it before, uh, most notably with Desmond King, when you make a name for yourself uh, as that type of a defensive back, teams just don't throw at you anymore. And so the potential to have that kind of season, to put up those kind of numbers, uh, again, even if you're a better player on the field than you were a year ago, you may not stack up the stats the way you did a year ago, and so I think that's a that's something that I, that I kind of expect out of Riley Moss this season. Again, fully expect expect him to be a a great player, uh, to live up to his billing, to uh, earn the you know continue to earn the respect and admiration and adoration of Hawkeye Nation. Um, but you can see a scenario in which he doesn't get the chance to have the stats that put him at even a first-team All-Big Ten level, let alone defensive back of the year, defensive player of the year, first-team All-American, Thorpe Award, some of those things. And so it'll be interesting to see kind of how that all plays out with Riley Moss, but super cool to have uh, to have two guys on this defense, um, first-team All-America, according to the AP in the preseason. And, you know, we'll just transition that into a conversation about kind of what you expect from this team. And you expect this team, I th- at least I expect this team, to be very similar to, the, to what they were a year ago. And um, while that's not the most exciting thing in the world, um, it certainly is exciting to to be a good team, to play for a Big Ten championship, to win 10 games. Uh, and, and I love watching great defensive football. Uh, I, may, I, I It's one of these things, I don't know if it's chicken and the egg, which came first, but I, I don't know if I love defensive football because I'm a Hawkeye fan and because most of my Hawkeye life has been that type of, of, of game. I mean, I've been a Hawkeye fan under Kirk Ferentz for 23 years. I'll turn 40 later this year. Most of my life, this has been the type of football I've, I've watched. And so is that why I love great defense? Is that why it, it excites me to have a, a defense that's expected to be, you know, a top five defense in the country? Or... Do I just like those things? Do those things, you know, my dad was a defensive coordinator uh, in in high school football at Bettendorf before he transitioned into uh, administration in in public schools. And my older brothers, uh, certainly one of my older brothers who was uh, the best athlete of the four of us, was a cornerback. He was a D-back, and I always thought that was so cool. Deion Sanders was like the coolest dude in the world to me when I was a kid, watching Bob Sanders do what he did when I was at Iowa. Uh, I just love... The, the positions, I love defensive football. And so I'm excited for this season 
uh, from from that angle because I do fully expect this defense to be as good, if not better, than last year. You've heard it all off season um, from guys a lot smarter than me about this, with a lot more access than me uh, when it comes to Iowa football. You know, wondering if this is going to be Phil Parker's best defense, and that's really, really saying something. The last decade under him has been fantastic. Is this going to be Kirk Ferentz's best defense? I mean, that'd really be saying something. Um, but the defense is going to have to keep this team in games, right? They're, they're going to have to stop high-powered offenses. They're going to have to create turnovers. They're going to have to limit um, limit mistakes. They're going to have to play field position football. And, and give Iowa's offense a chance to just do the bare minimum, much like they did last season. And, uh, you know, nobody loved the the four-game winning streak after the two-game losing streak where it felt like Iowa could lose to a bunch of mediocre teams. You know, in each of those games, it felt like Iowa had a chance to lose. And yet they didn't. They, they figured out a way to pull it out. Uh, a lot of the times it was through defense and through special teams. And uh, and so I fully expect that to be the case again this year, and I'm excited for that. I think the defensive line will be improved. I think they'll get more pressure on quarterbacks. Uh, I think the linebackers are, are probably the three best linebackers on, on any team in the country. Um, I think that what they're going to be able to do to, to make teams one-dimensional – to force teams to throw the ball, I think it's going to be incredible. And then you've got a ball hawk defense with more interceptions than anybody else over the last X amount of years uh, who just goes for these these things, knows what they're doing, and can create these turnovers while not giving up the big plays, right? While staying you know base enough and safe enough that um, if, if you do allow a play, it's it's a big play is twenty yards, not fifty yards. You know, a big catch and run. Nets you 25, 30 yards, not 70 yards, not to the house. And so Iowa just has this way that this this defensive backfield has this way of maintaining that kind of last man standing back there while not being afraid to go up and get the ball, go up and hit somebody uh, in the run game, go go up and hit somebody on a, a drag route or a tight end or you know a running back out of the backfield. And so uh, going to be a lot of fun. It, I do also expect, we've seen this year in and year out with Iowa's defenses, that they're probably not going to look great the first drive or two of each game. And it's not because they're not great. Uh, it's because they, they need to adjust. There are things that they will need to uh, counter and figure out as the game goes on. For as much kind of consternation as we've all had about Iowa's offense under Brian Ferentz and, and maybe a lack of an ability to make adjustments in-game, change the way you play in-game based on what the opponent is doing, Iowa has done a fantastic job of that. Not always. See Purdue and David Bell. Not always. But most of the time, Iowa's going to give up the points they're going to give up early in the game. They're going to find ways to adjust the defense is going to get stronger while the offense gets weaker, while the offense gets more tired. Somehow the defense uh, stays strong. And the, the second and third quarters, you're, you're not going to see a lot of yards or, or points from the opposing offense. And then the question is, how long has this defense had to hold? Are they the reason I was still in this game? Have they been out there all day long? Is the offense not giving them any breathing time on the sideline? You know, is, is the offense going three and out, three and out, three and out, and making the defense just keep coming out there? Is the offense turning the ball over and the defense has to come out and put out fires? Because then that's when you see late in the game uh, the defense get a little worn down 
and I don't, I don't have to list the number of uh, times and, and examples that we've seen an Iowa defense, a worn down Iowa defense, uh, give up just one last play or one final yard, uh, whatever the case may be. And, and lose a game. So I'm super excited about this defense. I think everybody should be for good reason. Uh, all of the, the pieces are there. The writing is on the wall that this is going to be another fantastic year defensively for the Iowa Hawkeyes. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Then you move to the other side of the ball and it's it's just all questions, right? And um, all questions may be too, too strong because I think you know what you have at tight end. Not just in Sam Laporta, but in Luke Lachey, who I think is going to have a really good season. You know, Iowa has a type of offense where a second uh, tight end, and certainly if you have one that's as highly touted uh, and going to be as big of a focus for opposing defenses as Sam Laporta, uh, when you have that kind of stud guy, there's a chance for Luke Lachey to get lost a little bit. There's a chance for him to uh, become the guy who is the go-to in a lot of areas um, when Sam Laporta or some of the other guys are, are kind of the decoys. And so I expect both tight ends to have a good year, but I really think Sam Laporta, uh, you, you don't have questions about him, right? You don't have questions about what Keegan Johnson can do, what Nico Reganey can do. Um, I think we're even don't have a whole lot of questions about how good Gavin and LaShawn Williams can be. Now, how good will they be? Will they translate it into a full season? Will they stay healthy? All of those are obviously questions, but I don't think we question the talent level of the skill players on this offense. But can they get them the ball? Can Spencer Petras or Alex Padilla, and I fully expect it to be Spencer Petras, and not just in Game 1, I fully expect it to be Spencer Petras for a lot of different reasons, for all the reasons you expect it to. Um... Can they get them the ball? Can this offensive line give them enough time to to let those plays develop? Can this offensive line open holes for the Williams brothers? They're not brothers to uh, to to run through. Um. So you know th- those are the questions. Obviously, obviously it all starts at quarterback. And what's what's changed? What is different? Is anything different? Does did how much is how much was Spencer Petrus? Struggling last year because the offensive line wasn't great. Uh, Because they had a lot of negative yard plays on first down in the running game. And that's nothing against Tyler Goodson. But I think the way that Gavin and LaShawn Williams run the ball is different. I don't think you're going to have those kind of negative yard plays. They don't dance as much. They're not looking for that hole to, to kind of break it open. Tyler Goodson was looking for a home run every time. And he hit a lot of home runs. He had a really good career. I think you missed some of the kind of hard nose, hit the hole, you know, three yards in a cloud of dust running that Iowa has had in the past and, and looks to have again this year. So, 
it all it all just comes down to quarterback and and the offensive line and how well they play and how well Brian Ferentz has designed this offense to uh, mitigate the the flaws and to accentuate accentuate yeah that's a word to accentuate the the positives. Um, Spencer Petrus seems like a great dude, a great leader, a great clubhouse guy, locker room guy. The team seems to love him. I, and you understand why. Just watch five minutes of him being interviewed. You love him too. Even after a bad game, he comes out out there and talks, and he says the things you'd want him to say. And usually, he's wearing, you know, an, an NIL branded shirt of one of his offensive linemen or something like that. You can tell he's a great leader. You can tell that team wants him to succeed. They want to follow him. You can tell the coaches want to follow him. Want him to succeed. They want him to be that guy. It's just he hasn't been able to put it together. And not not fully, at least, right? I mean, he, he's won a lot of games. I don't know what his record is as a starter off the top of my head, but it's pretty damn good. And he has the moment, the throw to Reganey against Penn State last year. That's a perfectly designed play, run perfectly, and a perfect throw. And they won that game, the biggest game in, in years for, for Iowa. So he, he has... He has the tools. Can he put them together? And is it realistic to expect a different quarterback in his third year starting than you've seen the last two years? I don't know if it is. Is it realistic to expect Alex Padilla to have taken a big jump? I think that's probably more realistic. I think Alex Padilla got a lot of really quality time last year playing a lot of coaching time, a lot of kind of really understanding what this means and could go into this offseason with a, a head of steam and, and, a, and an opportunity to you know, really kind of understand, okay, these are the things I need to work on and these are how I need to work on them. This is what's missing and this is how I fix it. Will we get to see that from Alex Padilla? I don't know. Barring injury or just a terrible start from Spencer Petras. And by start, I mean to the season, not to the first game. I think it's Spencer Petras plays poorly in game one and Iowa wins and it's playing awful against Iowa State, there's a chance that you see Alex Padilla in week two. I think short of that, I mean, if he just plays serviceably well in week one and, and isn't making mistakes, isn't throwing the ball away, uh, I think you're just going to see him as, as long as, as they can. So, you know, we've talked about this all off season. We'll talk about it more, I'm sure, uh, but now as we head into game week next week, it's time for uh, for the, these questions to, to start getting answered. So it's going to be, you know, it's going to be fun to see. I'm not super optimistic that this offense is going to be drastically different for a lot of reasons. Um, one, the, the, the biggest reason really, the they all stem from this. So maybe the only reason is that Kirk Ferentz, this is what Kirk Ferentz wants. Of course, he wants a, a more... Um, efficient offense. He wants an offense that that can put more points on the board. Of course, he wants those things, but he's not willing to sacrifice stability for that excitement. I truly believe he'd rather have a guy who is going to you know complete sixty percent of his passes and throw zero interceptions and throw a touchdown or two a game than a guy who's going to complete seventy percent of his passes. 
throw three touchdowns a game, but is going to turn the ball over a couple of times. Remember pick Rick. Ricky Stanzi used to throw a pick six like every game. That's what Ference is trying to avoid at all costs because he knows with the defense he has, with the special teams he hopefully has, that all you really need to do is put up enough points to win and kind of wait these teams out. Wait out a Nebraska who's who's going to blow a 15-point lead in the second half because they're undisciplined and they're they're, you know, no matter how many times they puke in practice, they're not conditioned the way you are. They are going to break down. They are going to fall apart and mentally they can't take it. Kirk Ferentz knows what his team is made of. I'm excited by Kirk uh, and and kind of the way he reacted to the 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 kids' day scrimmage a couple of weeks ago, and just kind of the way he's talking about his team in in the press. You're never going to have Kirk Ferentz be super, you know, uh, complimentary about his team. He's never going to come out and say, "Yeah, I think we're great. Yeah, we're ready. Look out." Look out. You think we're ranked 26? Look out. You 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 know you don't think we're good enough to be ranked? You're not picking us to win the Big Ten West again? Okay. Here we come. He's never going to do that. But he's he's kind of doing that in 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 his own way. And we saw this a year ago. And it was I think more distinct a year ago because at least here in Central Iowa, all of the hype was on Iowa State and their top ten team and their you know most anticipated season of all time. And we've all been through that. You know what happens when expectations get that high. It's really, really hard to live up to them. And Iowa State wasn't able to in any way, shape, or form last year. And I think Kirk Ferentz sat back and looked over what was happening in Ames and, and how they were being talked about nationally and thought, all right, this is good. This is good. Nobody expects us. That changed pretty quickly. I mean, that Seahawks game in week two was a top ten game. I mean, I was start of the season a top twenty program, top twenty team, but he was quietly confident about his team a year ago, and ultimately we saw why. He had a really good team. He had a great defense, good special teams, and a team that was capable of winning ten games, winning the Big Ten West, and yeah, getting blown out in the Big Ten championship, and yeah, not really showing up for a bowl game, and yeah, having a couple of bad losses. And an offense that really couldn't do anything, uh, certainly against Wisconsin, but really against Wisconsin or Purdue. But he thought, "Hey, this is the this is the kind of team that I can lead to ten wins," and and he did. And I think he thinks that again this year. I think ten wins is a is a high bar to clear, man. And you look at the schedule. We're going to do that in a little bit here. I just want to go through the schedule and give my opinion on wins and losses. I don't have them winning ten games. I'll tell you that right now. But it's it's certainly possible. So I like what Kirk Ferentz, I, I like the way he's, he's handling himself this offseason, certainly during this fall camp. I think that bodes well for the Hawkeyes. I think he is quietly confident about this team for a lot of different reasons. Special teams will be interesting. I mean, you got Torrey Taylor and, and everything he can do, and I fully expect him to be great again. Uh, the, the punting, I've said this before many times. I'm not sure anything in any sport, has had the kind of um, change over the last couple of years as punting has in in football, in college football first, and and you're starting to see it in the NFL. These Australian players came over and changed the game, and you know most of the time we've gotten to a point in our society with sports where uh, improvement is very incremental. You know, if if you 
if you set a world record in track or swimming or something like that, it's by tenths or hundredths of a second. Um, you know, guys who are the fastest ever are faster by tenths or hundredths of a second from from guys before them. Um, you know, the the st- statistically, you're you're incrementally increasing things on almost every level in every sport. Except what's happened for punting. And Tory Taylor's a part of that, but he's not the only one. And so now he's not the only guy. He's probably not even the best punter in the Big Ten. He's not the only guy who can flip field position, who can help uh, who can help a team kind of win that field position game. But I was probably better situated to win that type of game than anybody else because that's the type of game Iowa has wanted to play for two decades. That's not always the type of game other teams want to play, even if they have a great punter. So I really like Tory Taylor. You got to like that the kickers went, what, 15 for 15 during the kids' day practice. Aaron Blom and Drew Stevens, who's going to be the kicker? I don't know. It's going to be interesting. Uh, how quick of a, how short of a leash, you know, how quick of a pull do you have on whoever you do sit out, you know, put push out there? Uh, is it a distance thing? Is there one guy who's better from 35 in and one guy who's better from, from 35 to 60? Uh, it's it's going to be interesting, but I was going to need that as a as a solid position because again, I'm not breaking any news here. Iowa wins and loses a lot of one possession games, and typically, uh, how good your kicker is can really dictate how good your uh, your team is, and and certainly how good your season is. I mean, I would say with the punting game, I think that Tory Taylor was probably the MVP in two of Iowa's biggest wins last season uh, against Iowa State and against Penn State, or at least pretty close to it, as close as you can be to an MVP as a punter. Uh, so that's going to be really interesting to see kind of how they how they do this. And then who is the return man and, and who, who are the return men? How big of a – what kind of a leash do they have? How much confidence is, do the coaches have in them? If it's Arlen Bruce or if it's Riley Moss or if it's Cooper DeGene – or whoever it may be, um, you're not going to have the kind of trust in that person that you had in Charlie Jones, that's for sure. Uh, but but maybe over the course of a season, and if it's one of the younger guys over the course of a career, you, you do earn that. Uh, but that, that's going to be a really interesting thing, too. That was such a big weapon for Iowa with their anemic offense a year ago to have Charlie Jones helping to flip that field, helping to score points. I mean, that, that Illinois uh, return change that game completely. They they may not win that game without that. And so special teams is going to be a question, but you feel pretty confident about about Iowa moving moving in. Uh one more thing before I kind of do some season predictions. Uh just awesome. Shout out to you guys, Hawkeye Nation, for selling out the season. What a cool thing to have happen in a uh in a weird year. In a year without super high expectations, and I don't know exactly why this is the year that I, all of Iowa's games are sold out. I think part of it has to do with the momentum. I mean, you, you announce, I think they announced three sellouts in, in a span of 48 hours um, pretty early on in the Michigan, uh, Iowa State, and Wisconsin games. And that momentum starts going, right? I'm sure a lot of you thought, well, I mean, if those are sold out, I should probably grab up my tickets for the Nebraska game and you know hey that Nevada game's at night maybe I should grab those tickets uh hey 
South Dakota State, that, that's a fun game to take the family to at 11 a.m. kick on, on a September Saturday where hopefully the game really isn't in question. I, I mean, I know my my son turned seven this summer, and I don't think we're going to get over there this year, but when I do take him to Kinnick, that's the type of game I plan to take him to first, given that experience. And so, yeah, you wonder how much of that was the momentum of it. Some of it certainly is excitement for the season, and I think rightfully so, but uh, if that were the case, then you feel like we would sell out almost every year. And uh, and then you wonder how much of it has to do with the the pandemic and, and kind of the feeling that uh, that's over. Now, I know for a lot of people it felt like that a year ago. I know for me it felt like that a year ago. I went to the Purdue game last year. Um, not the reason they lost. Uh, but, but um, you know, a year ago there, there were still some questions, and certainly as we got deeper into the fall about – how how safe do you feel in in a even though you're outdoors? How safe do you feel in a group of you know seventy thousand people? That's really out out the window now. That that's really not a question, or at least not for most people. Uh, so you wonder how much of that is, and and then the fact that a lot of people haven't been inside Kinnick since 2019, and Kinnick has changed a lot since then. A lot of people have never had a beer inside Kinnick Stadium, or at least not a legal one. <laughs> um, a lot of people have never seen that north end zone, heard that north end zone. You know, kind of witnessed the and, and and affected games the way that this crowd did a year ago. Maybe that's part of it too that I just kind of thought I, ha- I hadn't thought about. But how many false starts were there that you can legitimately just say it's it's because of the crowd? It's because of the seventy thousand people in the stands. You affected games last year. The outcome of games. I mean, if that game is played, if that Penn State game is played in an empty stadium, Penn State probably wins. You shake up that young quarterback, he doesn't know what to do. His offensive line doesn't know what to do. Maybe they start laying on the field a little bit longer, allegedly. So part of that's the, the case, too. You, you want to be a part of those atmospheres. You want to say you've been inside Kinnick Stadium on a day like that, and you're going to have a chance to do that this year, and I think that's so cool. I think it's such a, uh, such a great... Um, tribute to to Iowa football and the program and where it's where it is where it's headed uh, what it's come through the last couple of years what it's still getting through on a lot of levels um but you know that people you know you want to participate in the wave and and you want to you, you want to be in Kinnick you want to do the IOWA until your throat is sore until you're hoarse ah I'm excited man it's gonna be fun All right, so what are we looking at in uh, in a week and a half uh, as we kick off football season? So next week I'm going to talk to somebody who covers South Dakota State and try to get a, an, an opposition research podcast, uh, take a look at that other team at, at South Dakota State, a good FCS team coming into Kinnick Stadium. Um, I fully expect Iowa to win that game, obviously. The question about that game and the Nevada game two weeks after that is going to be how does Iowa look? Uh, what what does their offense look like more than anything? Because I think even if the defense kind of you know, struggles, not the right word, but even if the defense gives up more points than we all think they should against a team like South Dakota State or against a team like Nevada, you feel pretty confident in what Iowa has defensively, uh, both on the field and and in the coaching staff. You feel less so about offense, and so how good does Iowa look? You know, in the opening drive next Saturday, uh, in in the second half, 
who are the key players? Who 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 are you know how, how is Keegan Johnson ready to go? I mean, he he wasn't even in uniform a week and a half ago. Where is he at? Uh, who is the starting offensive line? Are are they moving guys in and out at all? Who's the starting running back, and what does the rotation look like there? What's Arlen Bruce's you know position compared to Nico Regani compared to you know Brody Brecht compared to some other guys? So it's it's good. that that's really the thing, right? Is is going to be um, you know Alec Wick who who's turned a lot of heads. That that that's going to be the thing against South Dakota State and really against Nevada two weeks later, and hopefully against Iowa State. Um, but but certainly those two other non conference games, uh, that's going to be the thing. I'm obviously going to pick Iowa to win both of those games, and I do think Iowa's going to extend its streak uh, to seven wins in eight years over Iowa State. It's bizarre that Iowa State has not played at Kinnick Stadium since 2018. Uh, it's almost even more bizarre that every game since then has been the location of College Game Day. That won't be the case this year. Iowa State's not good enough, and, and frankly, Iowa's not either. Uh, but for College Game Day to have been at this game two years in a row, or, or two you know, two of these games in a row, they obviously skipped the 2020 game, uh, is is incredible. It's, it's It brought the Cyhawk to a level I don't think anybody in Iowa ever thought it would get to. I don't think anybody in Iowa maybe even thought it was possible. And to have that happen uh, was fantastic. And so I know a lot of Hawkeye fans, we've all kind of joked in the offseason, this does feel like the year that Iowa State's going to find a way. Right, a year where they're they, they don't have much as far as expectations. You don't know much about their team. Does that make them more dangerous? Um, they're very high on Hunter Deckers, who's replacing Brock Purdy at quarterback. But Iowa State just lost so much, man. And then they they've had a bad they've had bad September's every year under Matt Campbell. Matt Campbell, who's a really good coach and has done really well in the Big Twelve. They've beaten every team in the Big Twelve, I think home and away in in his tenure. Uh, they've done things in that league that, again, they probably never thought possible. And he has he's done a great job of recruiting and keeping that team, but they just lost so much. And coming into Kinnick Stadium, you know Kirk Ferentz wants this game. You know it's a big deal to him. You know it's a big deal to these Hawkeye players. It's one of the great things about recruiting so well in-state is uh, when it comes to this game, there really is a lot on the line. So I expect Iowa to, to come away with the Cyhawk win against seven in a row against Iowa State, seven in eight years. Um, it wouldn't shock me if this is the year where the weird game happens and Iowa turns the ball. I mean, Iowa hasn't turned the ball over in like five games against Iowa State. That's crazy. That's a crazy stat. I don't think any of us fully appreciate that stat. Iowa has played almost perfectly against Iowa State Really, I mean, since Matt Campbell got there. Nate Stanley's first game against the Cyclones, that would have been, what, 2017? That shootout where Iowa came back and they hit Amir Smith-Marset in the end zone for the game-winning touchdown in overtime. Iowa didn't play great that day, but they, they came back and made it happen. Really, I mean, since then, Iowa basically played flawlessly against Iowa State. And... uh and has won all those games, so I expect that that to continue. So I've got Iowa three and zero on September seventeenth with a win over Nevada under the lights at Kinnick Stadium, and then they hit the road for the first time and they go all the way out to Rutgers. And I say all the way. 
uh, even though it's you know as of next year it won't be the furthest destination uh, for the Hawkeyes. And honestly, I don't know Rutgers versus Maryland, which is which is further. Regardless, uh, I expect Iowa to go beat Rutgers. Then you come home and you got Michigan, and I know that Iowa has done well against Michigan in the regular season, although not so much lately. And Iowa has done well against good Michigan teams inside Kinnick Stadium and really against Jim Harbaugh, again, although less so the more recent you get. I I don't expect Iowa to win that game. I expect it to be a a ranked game. Um, I don't know Michigan's schedule up till then, but I expect them to be undefeated and and at that time probably a top five team, certainly a top ten team. They're, I think, eight right now. I think it's just a as we look objectively at this season or as objectively as we can through our black and gold glasses, I think it's probably safe to say I was going to lose that game. Kid I will win, of course, absolutely. And and will I change my tune that that week possibly depending on how they look in those first four games. I mean, if I was offense looks like it's clicking, looks like something really has changed, uh, I may be sitting here, you know, at the end of September doing an opposition research podcast where I'm trying to figure out why the Michigan person doesn't agree with me that Iowa's certainly going to win or, or that Iowa should be favored at home and you know stuff like that. But as we sit here today, the end of August, towards the end of August, I'm going to pick Michigan to go ahead and win that game. So I got Iowa 4-1 and one through five weeks. You go to October 8th at Illinois, and I, I expect Iowa to win that game. I, I think Illinois is getting better. We, we saw some of that last year. I think Brett Bielema is a good coach for them. And if they give him enough time, I think he can build a good program there. And I think uh, that'd be a lot of fun to kind of amp up the Iowa-Illinois rivalry into another sport. It's such a good basketball rivalry right now. It should be a good football rivalry. Uh, but Illinois just hasn't Illinois just hasn't lived up to their end of that bargain. They haven't been very good. So I expect Iowa to win that and go to 5-1. and one. Then you're at Ohio State. I don't expect Iowa to beat Ohio State. I'll just put that out there right now. Ohio State's a very good team. You're at the shoe. I know 55-24. I wish I could hold on to that forever. It's great that that was the last time these two teams played. It's going to suck when we can't point to that as the last time these two teams played. Unless Iowa goes there and notches a huge upset. Who knows? You know, stranger things have happened, like 55-24. I don't expect it. I've got Iowa 5-2. and two after the bye week and after a loss to Ohio State. Then you're back home after a couple of road games and you're against Northwestern. Uh, You know, a thorn-in-your-side team, but they've been so up and down these last few years under Pat Fitzgerald. Uh, I don't expect them to be great this year. They may be better than they were a year ago, but I expect Iowa to win that game. 6-2, and you go to to, uh, into November and at Purdue. And I can't pick Iowa to beat Purdue. Until I see it happen. Jeff Brom has figured out Iowa. He's figured out Kirk Ferentz. Much in the way that Kirk Ferentz has figured out some other coaches. P.J. Fleck, Matt Campbell, Scott Frost. Ferentz has had runs like this against bigger names too. Joe Paterno. First couple of games against Jim Harbaugh. Um, But I, I can't pick Iowa to beat Purdue until I see it happen. I hope that Charlie Jones and Tyrone Tracy have good seasons for Purdue. I do. It would suck if they're the reason that Purdue beats Iowa. We'll just you know come out there and say it. That would absolutely suck. It would hurt really bad if Charlie Jones you know returns a kick as Purdue beats Iowa. Especially if Iowa's six and two at that point and is a ranked team. And who knows where Purdue is? 
So I've got Iowa six and three, and then I don't have them losing again. And part of that is my hatred for Wisconsin. Uh, but you get Wisconsin at home. I don't think now they're they're going to be able to run the ball, but I think Iowa's defense is is going to be able to hold them. I don't think you see uh, a a Wisconsin passing game come alive the way you did early in the game last year. Uh, so I think Iowa can find a way to to beat Wisconsin. I think Iowa goes to Minnesota and wins in a close game. And then I think by the time you get to Black Friday, Nebraska's probably just just thrown the towel in. I mean, who knows how Nebraska's season goes. I know we always expect them to be better. It feels like at some point they have to kind of get over this hump and, and be a, a good, if not really good, team. Um, it just feels like by the time you get to Black Friday, they're so worn out. They're so beaten down. They've thrown up so many times <laughs> that, and and then you're in Kinnick Stadium, you know, and and maybe that's a game where I was playing for a Big Ten West title, like they were a year ago, or at least a position where if they win and get some help over that weekend, uh, they're able to go to Indianapolis in the Big Ten championship game. I think that's probably where Iowa is. I think that if I had to handicap it, I'd, I'd do it just like the rest of the media did, and just like. I think most people have it where Wisconsin's probably a slight favorite over Iowa to win the Big Ten West. But Wisconsin's not an infallible team, and I think they could get beat by Minnesota. I think they could lose a couple of games. And so a 9-3 Iowa team who went 5-2 and two in Big Ten West play, 5-1 and one rather, in Big Ten West play, um, I think that's probably good enough to get you back to Indianapolis. And then you probably lose to Ohio State again, an Ohio State team on its way to a playoff, and and you know maybe you've played your way into, maybe you've played your way out of a New Year's Six bowl, uh, maybe the Citrus Bowl doesn't want you back again, and maybe you are where Brett McMurphy has Iowa slotted today, and, and on the Action Network and his uh, projections, you're going to the Music City Bowl against an SEC team. He's got it as Ole Miss. On New Year's Eve in, in Nashville, and there there are worse places to be, and worse fates than that. So that's where I see Iowa. I see Iowa going nine and three. Whether or not they win the Big Ten West, I think will be out of their hands. I don't I don't think it'll be their choice. I think it'll be up to what Wisconsin does, maybe even what Minnesota does. Hell, maybe even what Purdue or Nebraska do. Um, I think it's going to be fun though. I'm I'm excited for this season. Uh, I don't have them winning ten games. I do have this as a Really, really fun year. I think the offensive MVP is going to be Sam Laporta. I think with what we know about Spencer Petras, I think that's the best option for him. I think if the offensive line can give him enough time to find his tight end, I think if Brian Ferentz can drop enough plays, and I think if guys like Keegan Johnson and Arlen Bruce and Nico Regani can do just enough to kind of make it so teams can't you know double-team Laporta, I think he's got a good chance. Defensive MVP, I'm I'm gonna, you know, go chalk here and say it's Jack Campbell. Uh, you know, once you've kind of got the nation's attention as he does, you have such a leg up. So now every game the focus is gonna be on him. It's gonna be so much harder for somebody else to kind of rise above that. Again, unless Riley Moss has another year like he had a year ago. Special teams MVP, it's gonna be Tory Taylor. I hope it's one of the kickers. I hope it's whoever the kicker is because that would be great. That would mean a lot. Uh, but 
whatever it is, man, it's going to be fun. And like I said, we're going to have this covered from every angle here at Hawkeye Nation. I'm going to have a bunch of podcasts coming up here. Uh, we're going to really start hitting it and getting it as we get into another fun football season. Say goodbye to summer. Say hello to fall. It is here. We have arrived. I appreciate you listening. I hope you enjoy your final week before football season. I'll be back with you a week from now. Thank you so much for listening, and go Hawks! Go Hawks!